By looking out at you this morning, I see that most of you did not get the memo that you're supposed to be wearing red. There's only like a few. A few. I, all year long, I look in my closet and I see this sweater sitting there and, it, and it's like reaching out to me. And I know that like as we get to Christmas, I'm going to have to put this sweater on at least once and be itchy and, and be hot and it's got this collar that feels like it's just reminding me that I've got it on because it's like it's strangling my neck. And at least no one has called me, I guess because VeggieTales is probably a little passe, but no one's called me Bob the Tomato yet today. So that's, that is, uh, thank you very much. I knew that would, uh, that would come pretty quick. Anyways, Gabby, thank you so much for sharing uh, that uh, spoken drama or whatever it is. Uh, there's no filler You've got to grab a copy uh, of what she wrote. Uh, ben, your latest newsletter, it, it's still attached to the app. If you don't have Ben's loot newsletter, great excuse to pick it up because Gabby's, what she read this morning or, or recited, uh, is at the back of his newsletter. And every sentence has got something profound in it. Like, as I said, like no, no filler. And I, I, I've read it over and over and over again. And what really impressed me about it is how real and how raw uh, a lot of what she had to say was. Uh, and why it, it resonated with me as I've been thinking about what I wanted to talk about today is some questions. And they're, they're in your bulletin, and they're, they're common questions, and so you may not think they're really profound and, and deep and raw, but for me this year, they really have been. And it's those questions all related to each other. What's Christmas all about? What's, what's the real meaning of Christmas? What's the reason for the season? And I found myself confronted with those questions as I found myself in situations where I've been observing or I've been hearing other people talk about Christmas. And one that really struck me was a couple of weeks ago at the gym. Uh, a gentleman, I don't know who these people were, one man said to another in the change room, you look really down. Uh, and they, the guy's response was, well, I think Christmas has got to me already. And the guy said, well, what, too much partying? I said, no, I think it's too much spending. And I thought, you know what, like, that's what Christmas is? That's, that's what it is about? Like, Christmas gets you down? And, uh, and then I was at two Christmas pageants at the kids' schools last week, and, and uh, I left a little bit before it ended because I had to come into Peterborough to pick up Lauren. And I, I do understand that they, they, one of the uh, children actually recited Luke chapter 2, which is quite uh, amazing at a, at a school pageant. But, but the rest of it was just fluffy stuff about Christmas. And, and then I was driving. It was the same day that I'd heard this conversation in the change room at the gym. I'm driving home and I'm listening to the radio and it's announcing these uh, events that are taking place, I guess, at a bar or something. Uh, and, and the opening line was that Christmas hasn't really arrived until we've watched Home Alone and Die Hard. Uh, and uh, so they were having Home Alone quotathons and Die Hard quotathons, which I have no idea what that means other than I imagine you sit around and watch the movie and repeat the lines or say the lines as they're happening. I thought, you know, like Christmas really hasn't arrived until you've watched Home Alone. And so I found out, like, what is, 
what's Christmas all about? What is the real meaning of Christmas? And then, and I've confessed this before because you know I like Little House in the Prairie, so it would make sense that I like Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, and so I've watched probably seven or eight Hallmark Christmas movies this year. Down when I'm in the States, they get the Hallmark Channel in the hotel room, and, and Netflix is showing the Hallmark movies. So I've watched these movies, and it's finally just hit me. Like, yes, they're sappy. I knew that at the start, but they have nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. Like, it's everything. But what I would think the real meaning of Christmas has to do with. And so I found myself confronted with these questions as I've I've observed and I've heard all these things happening around me and I've had rekindled in me this pet peeve that I feel so many Christmases, which is so much of how we portray Christmas around us totally misses the point. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And we see that in Christmas cards. We see that in season's greetings or hear it in season's greetings. We see it in the movies. We hear it in a lot of the music that's on the radio right now. And so that's my pet peeve at Christmas time. And I got to admit that I usually am able to satisfy myself with how we in the church do Christmas. Because we do talk about the birth of Jesus. And we sing carols that talk about the birth of Jesus. And and uh, uh, we, in, in the past, and, and I'm sure in other churches, have done children's pageants where they go through the Christmas story. And so, so there's this sense of satisfaction. But this year, I've really been challenged. Uh, and part of Katie's not here, but Katie's the one that put these two pictures uh, together. She painted them and, and put the letters in the middle. And so if you see it, a wreath, season, and uh, a, th- a crown of thorns, reason. And she put those up, and I looked at them, I thought, wow, that's profound. And all of a sudden, it's on Facebook too. Like, I'm seeing this everywhere. Uh, and uh, she put them up, and no sooner she put them up, but we were having the Will Walker concert, and everything came off the stage. And so they got put in my office. And so for about a week, I sat there with these two pictures staring at me. Reason, season, season, reason. And I started wondering if we really do full justice to the, to the whole message of Christmas. Like, do we, do we actually get right down to the heart of the matter? And I say that because so often, I mean, we talk about Jesus and we talk about his birth, but so often we focus on the beauty of Christmas. And don't get me wrong, there's lots that's beautiful about Christmas. Like the nativity scene and Christmas cards and presents and gatherings and turkey dinners. All, all that stuff is, is beautiful. And it almost seems like for, for a 24-hour period, the world stands still. And I get where Hallmark gets its inspiration. Because the world almost becomes this place of fantasy. And it's, it is. It's beautiful. And I understand it's appropriate that we in the church should promote this upbeat and attractive side of the Christmas story. But the Bible tells us there's a dark and unattractive side to Christmas. 
Some preachers have called it the ugliness of Christmas. And this ugliness of Christmas is, is directly related to the beauty of Christmas. In fact, if you really want to understand the beauty of Christmas in its fullness, you have to understand the ugliness of Christmas at the same time. If you don't understand the, the dark and unattractive side of Christmas, you will fail to understand the beauty of Christmas. I was thinking of that this morning. I was driving Lauren into Whitby, and uh, I reached in my pocket and I have my puffer. This is a marvelous medicine. And when I'm congested or my asthma's kicked in and having a hard time breathing, a couple of shots of this, like it's gold. But if you don't suffer with asthma, and I told you how great this was, and I said, come on up and take a puff. You're going to go, uh, kind of got a little nasty aftertaste. But, but you're not going to get how wonderful this is unless you know what it's like to be locked in someone's house that has cats. I'm not looking here because I know there's a cat lover right in front of me. Like, why, why do people have cats? Really? Because those of us who are allergic to them suffer badly, and that's why I carry a puffer. Or horses in a barn. And we've had horses. But I can't only be so long with a horse in a barn, and I can barely breathe. And if you know what it's like to not be able to breathe well, and you take a puff of this, you'll know how beautiful a medicine this really is. If you don't understand the ugliness the dark and unattractive side of the Christmas story, you'll never fully understand the beauty uh, of the Christmas story. Uh, I was going through some old notes down in my office, and I came across uh, something I'd written down, and, and it's a number of years ago, I'm certain, and I'd asked my daughters, Natalie and Lauren, a simple question, and I'd written down their answers, and I'd asked them, why did Jesus come to earth that first Christmas morning? And uh, Natalie... Her answer was, so that we could celebrate his birthday. Lauren being a bit more profound, it was, and it wasn't just last year, Natalie, I think it was a few years ago since I asked you that question. And Lauren said he came to earth that first Christmas morning because he loved us. And that's the question I want to ask you this morning. Why did Jesus come to earth that first Christmas morning? And it's only when we grasp the relationship between that which is ugly and that which is beautiful about the Christmas story that, that we will fully understand the true meaning of Christmas and what Christmas uh, is all about. And maybe you're saying, like, well, what possibly can there be that could be considered the ugly, unattractive, hideous aspect of Christmas? And, and maybe you're thinking that's totally politically incorrect that Brent would even say that, and it's really bothered you that I've said that, and you're quite anxious as to what the answer could possibly be. And just to bother you even more, I'm going to suggest that there's a number of answers to that question. Because there was and there is a lot that is unattractive about the Christmas story. First century Palestine was not postcard perfect, like a lot of Christmas cards have uh, made it out 
to be. The, the political darkness into which Jesus was born. Matthew tells us that King Herod was on the throne. Well, King Herod was evil. He was violent. Uh, he was sadistic. He was totally paranoid and suspicious and jealous. He had his mom and his brothers put to death. He hated the Jewish people. He hated the God of the Jews. And as we know, he ordered the slaughter of all the boys under the age of two. Not a real attractive political scene into which Jesus was born. We know that the setting into which Jesus was born was not very attractive. And, and there's a lot of debate as to what Jesus uh, or where Jesus was actually born. Was it a stable, uh, as the carols would tell us? Was it, was it a cave uh, at the back of a, a home uh, where the animals were kept, uh, which historians would tell us? Or some theologians would tell us that really what it was was the, the lower level of a home, where at night the animals would have been brought in. What we do know is that Jesus was born and he was laid in a manger. And whether it was a lower level of a house or whether it was a cave or whether it was in a stable, if you know barn animals, you know what that situation was like. That's not where I would have wanted my kids born. We were watching a vet show on TV last night and they were going to do some surgery on a horse. And the two vets stood at this sink and they washed and scrubbed their hands for like five minutes. And I said to Allison, it, it reminds me of when Lauren was born. And it was a C-section, so it was scheduled. And I was standing outside of the room and, and the two doctors who were going to be performing the surgery went to the sink and I marveled at how long they washed their hands. And then they put gloves on. And I said that to Alice. And I go, like, they, it was 10 minutes, it seemed like. They scrubbed their hands, and then they put these gloves on. And then they walk in the room like this, and everything is clean and handed to them. Jesus was born and placed into a feeding trough for animals. Not real attractive. And even the response that Jesus got to his birth. Jesus leaves the splendor of heaven, humbles himself as a man, comes into a world that's filled with violence and, and hatred and strife and, and disease. And you can name a bunch of other things you want to put in that sentence. And he comes into a world filled with all those things, offering relief from those same things. And he's met with an overwhelming response of indifference. That's not attractive. You know, as I say that, I think, like, what's different? We have, the, we have the true message of Christmas. And we live in a world that's filled with all those things. And yet, as we share the message of Christmas, and, and hopefully you can share it even fuller by the, the end of this morning, it's painful, the overwhelming response of indifference that the world gives to the birth and the person and the work of Jesus. As I, hope, I, I hope you're starting to sense my point. There was a dark, unattractive 
side to the Christmas story. And we don't always reflect on those points of the Christmas story. But the Bible would suggest that there's even a darker, an even more unattractive side to the Christmas story. It's behind everything that I've been talking about. It permeates the whole Christmas story. It it rears its ugly head even today. You see, in the background of all that's beautiful about the Christmas story is a dark and ugly reality. And and what's that reality? Well, it's it's referred to in the text that I want to speak from this morning. If you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy. We're only going to be looking at a couple of verses and, and mainly landing on one of them. 1 Timothy, if anyone's got the Pew Bible, just uh, read out the no- page number if you would. 1 Timothy 1. So page 960. Verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Don't miss what Paul's saying here. If you, if you had taken the time to read the verses before verse 15 in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's warning Timothy and those who would read this letter and, and would hear about this letter, he's warning them, cautioning them, cautioning them uh, uh, to, to keep their eye out for, for false teachers, to those who've turned to myths, those who've walked away from the truth uh, and have turned to, to meaningless talk. Paul says they don't know what they're talking about. And then we come to verse 15. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. Here is a truthful saying. Here's something that you can have 100% confidence in. You can count on what I'm going to say. You can bank on it. And it's for everyone. Regardless of condition, here is a trustworthy, a true saying worthy of full acceptance. doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what nationality you are, how old you are, how poor or rich you are, how sick or uh, healthy you are. This true statement is for you. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that means you, and it means you, and it means me. As soon as Paul uses that word sinners, none of us is excluded. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And get what Paul's saying. I mean, as someone who preaches, I'm envious. It's the whole gospel message in one sentence. Like, like we could preach a seven-point message on verse 15. 
And he answers all the questions. What is the ugliness of Christmas? It's sin. What's the heart of the Christmas message? Why did Jesus come? He came to save sinners. What's the beauty of the Christmas message? It's that the ugliness of Christmas finds its remedy in the coming of Jesus. That's the full, true message of Christmas. That's what's reflected in these pictures behind me. You can't have one of these pictures without the other. It goes hand in hand. In fact, if there wasn't sin and the problem of sin, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. And I realize that in, in some circles, it's suggested that to use the word sinner and, and save aren't the most effective way to reach people who are lost, and that's not an effective way to talk either. And so the gospel gets watered down. I, I don't know a person who's drowning in their sin what word is more appropriate than save. If we're going to understand the beauty of Christmas, we have to come to grips and understand the reality of sin, this darkness, this ugliness that prompted God to send His Son to come and to die for us. If you read your bulletin at the front, and and I was kidding Sarah because she wasn't aware of uh, the book Pilgrim's Progress, and I sent her the, we call it the blurb, I sent her the blurb for the bulletin, and I said, did it make sense? And she goes, I guess. (laughs) I'm talking about the quote. If you do know Pilgrim's Progress, you know that that's that's what Greatheart said to Christians, boys. Beware of, no, I can't remember the name of the place, Forgetful Green. Beware of that place. Beware of that place where you forget all of God's benefits and favors towards you and how unworthy you were to accept them, to receive them. And I realize on the one hand that sometimes we cringe when we talk about people being sinners and that they need to be saved from their sin and that there's other of us who are going, but Brent, I've heard this message before. You're preaching to the choir. And yet I think of John Bunyan writing Pilgrim's Progress, talking about the, the danger of finding ourselves in this place of forgetfulness where we don't focus on the past. It's interesting that Paul so many times takes a walk down memory lane and reminds himself where he came from so that he could remember how grateful he really is for what God had saved him from. And so it's so important that we understand the truth concerning sin. Our sin. The sin of those around us. What is sin? 
The Bible describes it in a number of different ways. In 1 John, it's referred to as lawlessness. Breaking the law. Living life like there's no God, no authority, no standard. Way back in Genesis, we find out that sin is, is violating or overstepping a boundary. We saw Adam and Eve overstep the boundaries of how God had determined that they would relate to Him. We all know, because we've heard it before, that, that sin is to miss the mark, to fall short of a standard. And that's what sin is, but what's sin like? Well, first of all, it's defiling. It's not just breaking a law. It's a pollution. It stains everything it touches. It's watching a movie, and this young boy in the movie gets bit by a poisonous snake. And within minutes, the venom has permeated the whole body, and the boy dies. I thought, that's sin. It permeates every part of our being. And then it spreads beyond until it's, it's permeated all of humanity. It's defiling. It's defying. When we sin, we are defying God. We're slapping Him in the face. We're saying that I would rather live how I want to live, not how you want me to live. It is to oppose God. Sin is ungrateful. When we sin, we're showing our ingratitude towards God's kindness. Sin is incurable. There's nothing that we can do to remedy sin and the effects of sin and the consequences of sin. And sin is hated by God. God can't tolerate sin. He's repulsed by sin. He can't allow sin into His presence. He must, because of His holy and righteous character, He must deal with sin. And who does sin affect? Well, Paul in another letter to the Romans says, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of a standard. And what are the consequences of sin? What's the result? In Ephesians, Paul tells them that because of our sin, we are persons of God's wrath. Further in his letter to the Romans, Paul says, all have sinned, Romans 3, Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Alienation from God. Eternal separation from God. See the bottom line, this, this ugliness known as sin is for any time of the year. Have you come to grips with the reality of sin? Do you recognize that sin undealt with will eternally alienate you, separate you from God? And that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to fix the terminal problem of sin? And I know some of you are going, yeah, I get it. Learned that 50 years ago. But you are living life surrounded by people every day who don't get it, who aren't part of the choir that's being preached to. They're only going to hear it and see it from you.
Next Christmas message. Not necessarily what you scraped the ice off your car and shoveled the driveway to come in here. Because when we come to grips with the reality of sin, it can leave us feeling quite hopeless and quite depressed. But don't be discouraged. Because the heart of the Christmas message has good news for each one of us. Jesus came to save sinners. It's what separates Christianity from any other religion. We have to earn the right to have a relationship. You have to work to have whatever sins and faults and shortcomings removed. Whereas Christianity tells us that Jesus came here to do all that work for us, to do all that removing for us. That's the beauty of Christmas. Jesus came to provide a remedy, a cure for the ugliness of Christmas. That's why he came. He didn't come just to be a great leader and to set a good example and to leave some great teaching. He came to die for sinners. That's what Christmas is all about. God in his perfect love sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Can you appreciate the cost that God incurred so that our sin could be dealt with? And so where does that leave us? What does it, what does it mean for us? Well, in these verses, what Paul says is, that unless we understand the reality of sin and our sinfulness and the darkness and hideous nature of sin, and unless we embrace the person and work of Jesus and His gift of forgiveness, we have no connection with the beauty of Christmas. But if we'll believe, if we will embrace this gift given to us that first Christmas morning, Our sins are forgiven. We're no longer alienated from God. Rather, we are in right relationship with God. We have eternal life. Christmas truly is Mary. Ever thought of how awkward people greeting each other, Merry Christmas and Happy Easter are when they give no regard to Jesus. Because the full message of Christmas, if you have no regard for Jesus, it's kind of a scary message. Because you, your sins haven't been dealt with. And the same thing with Easter. If, if, if you're holding all hopes out to the Easter bunny and there's no regard for Jesus, there's nothing happy about Easter for you. There's a line in Gabby's Gabby, what do we call it? A drama? Monologue. There's a line in your monologue that so much of it popped out to me, but this one line, and you said, 
that we have become broken warriors following the servant king who is broken for us. Dot, 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 dot. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the message of Christmas. That's the good news of Christmas. That's, that's the raw and real beauty of the gospel. God's in the business of forgiving sin. And God is in the business of changing us. Using our trials and our problems and our mistakes and using our challenges and using the reality of living in this broken and screwed up world, God uses that to change us and to mold us and to shape us into something that's so beautiful. The person of his son, Jesus. That's the business that God is in. Changing lives. And you might be hearing me this morning and you're going, not me. This message isn't for me. I'm beyond hope. God can't change someone like me. I'm not special enough that God would show an interest in me. <clears throat> well, we can't finish these few verses without pointing out in conclusion what Paul wants you to hear. The grace and mercy was poured out to the chief of sinners. Paul called himself the worst of sinners. And he was changed forever. If you look at Acts, Paul describes what his life was like before Jesus. He called himself a blasphemer. He was violent. Persecutor of the church. He truly believed he was pleasing God by trying to wipe out Christianity. He was on his way to arrest Christians when he was confronted by Jesus. And Paul says, the grace and mercy was poured out onto me and I was changed. And why Paul? Why would God pour out his mercy and grace to the chief of sinners? Why would he take someone who is the chief persecutor of the church and turn him into and change him into the chief missionary of the church? So that there's not one person here this morning who can walk away believing that God's grace and mercy is unable to reach you and unable to change you. Because the beauty of Christmas is that Jesus came to offer a solution to the ugliness of Christmas, your sin and mine. And that message is for each and every one of us. And my prayer, my hope for you this Christmas season is that you will embrace the beauty, that you will embrace Jesus. And for those of you who have embraced Jesus years and years ago, that that would become new and refreshing all over once again to you so that you can share the beauty of Christmas with those uh, that you come and meet, as, meet with as you share with them about Jesus, the friend of sinners. Mike, come on up and uh, lead us.